Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts for up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Join us September 25th, 26th, and 27th for a three-day special streaming event, Strange Realities, to push the limits of your reality. Featuring authors, academics, researchers, occultists, experiencers, podcasters, and practitioners. All presenting fresh cutting-edge material and research. Streaming live. Featuring presentations by Brent Reigns. Editor of Alternate Perceptions Magazine. Aaron Gullius. Host of the Saucer Life Podcast. David Metcalf. Writer and researcher. Alan Greenfield. Author of Secret Cipher of the Euphonauts. Stephanie Quick. Writer and blogger. Red Pill Junkie. 14 researcher and explorer. Tim Banal. Host of Banal of America. Guy Malone, Iconoclast and Troublemaker, Timothy Ritter, host of Strange Familiars, Kiki Dombrowski, author and practitioner, Greg Bishop, author of Project Beta, Ginny Ashford, host of 13 O'Clock, Recluse, host of The Farm, Jack Montgomery, Folk Magic, Joshua Cutchin, author of Thieves in the Night, Reverend Michael Carter, Alien Contact Experiencer, Dr. Future, host of Future Court, Tony Kale, author of Memphis Hoodoo, Rin Collier, Occultist, Soraya Ascap, host of Where Did the Road Go, John Tinney, Ghost Stalkers and Hell. All three days, only $20. Tickets and info available at strangerealitiesconference.com. Brought to you by the Conspiranormal Podcast. Conspiranormal.com. Strange Realities. Welcome back, everybody. Live once again on special edition Conspiranormal, the Strange Realities preview edition. And we are on the last section here and as you can see we have a crowd uh Serfiel is back of course and david metcalf and dr future say hello <laughs> <laughs> and uh and uh, recluse you guys are finally seeing what recluse yeah, looks like and red collier has joined us as well so welcome, guys, to cons- to this uh, episode of Conspiranormal. Conspiranormal. That's right. We had to make uh, everybody take the tape off of their webcams. Yeah, 
Yeah. I literally yeah. had to take it off for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> you better believe I keep it on there. I don't even keep mine hooked up, man. I had <laughs> I had mine on right now. Is it shielding the video good? I hope you can't see me. <laughs> That's why you've got that sheen, right, Dr. Future? You got that, that nice white sheen over yeah. you. It's a glow. <laughs> So I asked for my close-up, Mr. DeMille. <laughs> we're going to talk about these guys' um, presentations, and we're going to just see what we get into a little bit. So this may be a little more stream of consciousness. But uh, let's start. Now, uh, David is here just to help us out with questions, to try to referee, keep everybody from killing each other, all that good stuff. Um, so Dr. Future... We'll start with you. And if you guys don't know who Dr. Future is and the people know. streaming, like you should know, like Dr. Future was literally the first guest ever on Conspiranormal and has been on Conspiranormal like a billion times. So, uh, Dr. Future, what are you going to be talking about at the Strange Realities Conference 2020? Well, what I want to know is what happened to Surfio. I see he disappeared, and I'm suddenly the here. audio was warping and modulating. Yeah, I'm, I'm still here. I'm just trying to. I mean, uh, I've had. Con- what's going on? <laughs> I, I have been concerned about him ever since he was outed as being QAnon. It was okay yeah. that I mentioned that one. And then y'all already reveal that, or I, I didn't speak out of turn, I hope. Damn. He, yeah, he said, we, we, you know, whatever we we're, we're in, we're all in later. it together, or something like that. Yeah, we were we were, we were going to reveal that later on tonight, Mike. But since you've already talked about it, that Sirfino was actually queued on. That, he's been working all real right. hard on that project for the last like few years. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. We're all for one, or we all go through together. So, yeah, I, you know, I started wondering about Sophia when I saw that album cover where you all were walking across the street and he was barefoot. Yeah, yeah. I knew there wasn't something quite right there with him. Uh, I'm getting quite a delay on this. I don't know if the. Do you have a like a a white van outside with a big microwave dish aiming at you all producing this? Because I'm getting a lot of delay. Yeah, um, I don't know. We, we, are you we, on we, Chrome, Mike? Yeah, I'm on Chrome. Okay. okay. But it, um, it's having a massive delay between us and you. So. Okay. No, uh, did you sure. ask me something, Adam? I forget. Why am I here? Yeah, why are you here? It's like Admiral Stockdale. Why are you here? Who are you yeah, and why are you exactly. here? Exactly. <laughs> I could be a VP. Yes. <laughs> Did you ask me what I'm going to talk about? Yeah, what you're going to talk about at Strange Realities Conference. Okay, sorry about the delay. It's doing a weird delay here. Um, well, I just started on it in the last day or so. Um, and um, part of it is that I just finished posting, I think, the Guinness record for world's longest blog post. <laughs> and I, I don't know, Adam, have you seen it? Any of the rest of you all? You're going to have some stiff competition from John Bevilacqua, I can tell you that. The uh, the Giz blog that he gave me um, for the one thing that he did for his podcast to uh, promote it, man, I mean, it was probably like 30,000 words or something like that. I mean, it was just unreal. Uh, 
I'm still having nightmares about editing it, honestly. Yeah, mine were 34,600. <laughs> okay, okay. Mine were 34,600. I didn't think it was possible, Doc, but you did it, so I can yeah, no pictures. Yeah, thank you. you yeah, I copied it over to a Word document, and it was 60 pages. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was 60 pages. So and it it gets in, it was I almost considered doing it for my presentation because it gets into who some of the people really are behind the scenes on the hydroxychloroquine thing, and it focuses on the Israeli connection and some weird skullduggery going on in the culprit world, and also some really creepy culty figures as if we don't know on that side. So I don't know, Adam, if you all talked about the magic eight ball and its effect on America's youth. That was exposed uh, by America's frontline doctors. I don't think that we have discussed that. We did discuss a little bit about America's frontline doctors last, uh, well, a couple of times ago when we were we had recluse on. But uh, yeah, the, we did not talk about the effect of the magic well, there, eight ball upon upon America's youth. Well, uh, another group I expose in there that is. Um, involved in endorsing this is a larger older group called the association of american physicians and surgeons and they run sort of an academic medical journal and in there they actually expose that the o in the obama logo was actually a crystal ball and they oh. used that to actually hypnotize america i didn't know if you all had talked about that or not no, that's priceless <laughs> though man that's that's definitely that's something but else. i'm not talking about any of the yeah well, Recluse, I don't know what you're wasting your time doing. That's like the kind of thing you need to get to the bottom on. I mean, maybe you could even tell Rather me Rather than wasting I'm your time. My life. <laughs> no, I'm Dr. Future, but I'm not that clairvoyant. Um, <laughs> the thing I'm going to talk about is patient I just got a hold of that um, first got, I, unlike Recluse, I don't, I don't have any it's amazing I even got it, but from the university that holds the records of J. Howard Pugh, the guy in my book that I recently released that I show is really the father of the religious right, um, they mm -hmm. actually house all of his records. J. Howard Pugh was the, he and his father were the founder of Sunoco, um, and he, he was the one that started um, uh, cr Christian economics, major um, basically a Christian right publication about the big business and Christianity and uh, Christianity today he founded, but he really is the founder of everything that I've been writing about in my books. And um, because of COVID, I could not go up. In, it's in Delaware at university in Delaware, where all of his records are. Uh, I could not go there. You have to apply to get a grant to go there, which I'm going to do, but I was able to get them to give me some information. And I don't know how much you want to reveal Adam, uh, do we want to spill the beans here about details of what I'll be talking about or save some surprises or what? Well, I mean, we need to save some things for definitely for the conference, for the people that are going to be there and, and such. Uh, we don't want to go too far into it, but just kind of like we just kind of want to get it like a gist. So, um, OK. Well, I'll, th I'll throw this out. Um, one of the interesting uh, folders they have at the university that I found amongst a lot of things, including um, 
he, uh, J. Howard Pugh, who's this very distinguished gentleman, a real father of the Christian right and evangelicals and highly, highly regarded, very pious uh, Presbyterian leader, uh, was his involvement in things like the John Birch Society. He never talked about it, but he was very involved at the very beginning with the John Birch Society. Uh, he was also involved with Willis Harmon, who was really the father of what we would call white supremacy, uh, Holocaust denial. Uh, he was the one that really got that movement going in America. But the thing that really caught my eye, I had to sort of do triage on what I could talk them into sending me uh, to get started, was his appearance at Bohemian Grove. And in Grove, I actually got his records. He brought a whole lot of papers home from his visit there. And a lot of you guys have probably seen a lot of that stuff before. But there was a lot of explanation about cremation of care, what it was about. Um, very, very important people historically at that one um, event in the summer of 1947 he went at that sort of rewrote history, even in the weeks before and after that event. And so I'm going to talk about that a little bit, show about his uh, correspondence with J. Edgar Hoover, who also joined him at Bohemian Grove that week, um, the files that the FBI had on J. Howard Pugh, uh, and also um, guys like Harmon and others who showed another side of J. Howard Pugh that he kept from Christians. Uh, anyone who has any kind of discernment should not be completely surprised about sort of the duplicity of a, a gentleman like that. But I'm going to try to give a taste of some of that. I'm going to document it in, in a higher degree. It's sort of an unexpected addition to my volume two mostly completely written now it's needed to get it you know reformatted and ready for edited and ready for publication but i'm going to add a very lengthy chapter on some new information on j howard pew because there would be no religious right without him he was the guy who bankrolled them he gave them their identity and he had sort of another life that he tried to cover up in his biographies they didn't talk about it they kept it hush hush but there is a paper trail, and I think I probably only just barely scratched the surface. But I'm going to show some of that at the conference. Cool. Okay. Yeah. All good stuff. We're really looking, really looking forward to it. Can you uh, talk about the um, oh, who his uh, uh, his mate was in the cabin uh, when he was at Bohemian Grove? Are you going to get into yeah. him? Yeah, I got a list. Uh, that was a really. Uh, it sounds like you, I'm not shocked that you probably. You have more information than I have, probably, which I'm not shocked. I'm, I'm sort of the poor man Surfiel, you know, to this group. <laughs> you know, if, if you if you can't if you can't afford the real thing, you know, you, you break glass and you get a Doctor Future out. So <laughs> I'm like the I'm the Department of Redundancy Department for. Uh, for for your all's research, uh, particularly recluse. So, but yeah, um, I I do have some information in his files about who was there with him. But maybe you and I need to uh, talk offline a little bit more. Maybe you have some more intelligence data I don't have. Oh sure, sure. Cool. Okay. Go ahead, Sergio. Oh, I was just saying, I'm I'm really happy that we got those two uh, connected, and also Doctor Future and David too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very much so. We've shared a lot of information together and have uh, yeah. 
pieces to each other's puzzles. Oh yeah. Especially when it becomes when it comes to yeah, like they, defender press. Yeah, defender defender puzzle. So, uh, right. Yeah, it, well, yeah this, I'm sort of I I give these guys a ho hum. What were you saying, David? I was I was just gonna say this is kind of a strange uh, you know little uh, puzzle arrangement here because Recluse has such a, a deep dive into the the kind of. Uh, a social aspect of it and more kind of governmental and and uh different family traditions i don't know what would you call like the you know different kind of scones of american culture and uh you know my fascination with the spiritual warfare and uh charismatic christianity and christian right movement and then dr future kind of blending those two together you know mm -hmm. yeah very much so so recluse, let's uh, let's talk about what you're going to speak about at the uh, at our Strange Realities conference. Well, I just kind of figured that out like a couple of days ago. Um, I usually don't know how this stuff is going to turn out actually until I you know actually start doing it. I wrote a eighty thousand like word book on uh, the Epstein thing. It's actually going to be the first book in a trilogy, and I didn't actually know what I was going to be about when I started writing it. I just kind of go with the stuff. But uh, anyway, for this one, I decided that. It was going to be an exploration of conspiracy theories as a sub-project of MKUltra that are now running amok, essentially. So um, it's going to be a pretty deep dive into a lot of crazy stuff. I'm going to get into Cybermen. I'm going to get into the real Men in Black. I'm going to give you guys a lot of really obscure Cold War history. Uh, let's see, just all kinds of crazy stuff. We're going to talk about everybody from Edward Lansdale to Charles Willoughby to Adriana Puharic. Uh, just all kinds of insanity. <laughs> and wow. I haven't finished the end yet. And then so I'm going to try to teach myself how to do PowerPoint by tomorrow, actually, so that I will have it ready by next week. So. <laughs> so you're getting into the nine, huh? I don't know if we'll get around to the nine in this one or not. Like, there was a lot of stuff I was thinking I was going to uh, talk about, but it's already the script I wrote. It's like already at 10,000 words, and I still have to, like, get to the sort of quasi-conclusion I had come to yet. So, yeah, I, I don't know if you guys want me to speak for three hours or something like that, but we'll see how it goes. But, yeah, uh, that, that stuff goes pretty deep. That's for sure. Oh, trust me, I've got plenty of crazy connections that uh, a lot of people, I think, are going to be shocked by when I go into some of this stuff. Cool. Cool. Looking forward to that for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I've already made account of the point that, like, for a paranormal conference that first night, well, I guess we're kind of billing this as a paranormal conference. I was talking to Mike, telling Mike this yesterday when we were talking on the phone, but. You know, like for a paranormal conference, that first night, those first four speakers, there's going to be nothing paranormal. <laughs> oh, trust me, I'm bringing the weird, man. I'm bringing. Yeah, you're bringing the weird for sure. Yeah, for parapolitical, sure. at least. The parapolitical. Oh, it's going to get yeah. into really, really weird here towards the end of this thing. Trust me. <laughs> can uh, can you kind of uh, for like the audience and nobody like we have nine people watching right now. So for those nine people at the moment and That's whoever enough. else is going to watch this, yes, nine. They're, yeah, the nine are watching yeah. right now. Uh, the the um. Can you get into the uh, what is like what does parapolitical mean? Like what is uh, how do you define that? Well, I mean it's basically the scholarly. Hey, by the way, is that the Ognode that is watching? Uh -huh. I'm sorry. What <laughs> you said? The nine is that the Ognode? 
Oh, no, we're talking about the nine that were channeled in the seance, dog. The seance <laughs> channeled uh, America. Okay. <laughs> Has it ever been called that, the seance that changed America? Because that's, that's... I think Lavinda referred to it as something along those lines. I'm not 100% sure. My copy of Sinister Forces is out of reach right now. That's a good... Uh, that's a good phrase. Like, <laughs> um, so what were we talking about again? Something about like we had nine people watching and then... Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the fine parapolitical. Oh, yeah. that's right. That's right. Define, okay, so it was kind of like the scholarly, I guess, answer to conspiracy theories or something where effectively you're trying to go through real source material. I mean, recently I've really gotten into a lot of uh, personal papers and stuff like that. That's going to be some stuff that I might get into a little bit for my presentation. If you guys are really lucky, you might get to hear the Orgone Manifesto of the Men in Black. It's really freaking kooky. But um, yeah, you know, you're trying to sort of essentially separate the wheat from the chafe, not get, you know, emotional, uh, trying not to get really caught up to one political bias or another. Um, I think I do a pretty good job at that. Uh, uh, my ex basically left me in part because I had apparently drifted too far to the right, in her opinion. On the flip side of the coin, I was just accused of being a crypto communist today by some listener of my podcast. So it seems like I've got most of my bases covered, you know? Um, yeah, I'd say so, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, you know, I mean... Essentially, it's like doing a lot of heavy footnotes and not citing, like, behold a pale horse over and over. <laughs> you know, the actual archive material and those types of things, the stuff that you see Peter Dale Scott and Jeffrey Bale and people like that doing. Yeah, in fact, um, if you guys have not been listening to uh, Recluse's podcast that he does called Farm, you guys should be because um, he digs really deep along with a lot of other guests that he's had on. Uh, Penny Royal guys have been on there quite a lot. In fact, I think you just released a show with them. And Dr. Future, Dr. Future has been on there too, uh, just not too long ago, about a month or so ago. Yeah, we're so, hoping to get Doc back here real soon too. We got, uh, we got a lot of stuff to talk about. We got to talk about some Georgia Guidestones at some point yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's where David is Did right now. Did you say now, Jeffrey Bale? Was... Jeffrey Bale. That... Bail. Okay, they said bail. I didn't know if he was the guy. Tony loves Chachi. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, he did speak. Didn't he speak at the Republican convention? Uh, Scott Bale. Yeah. Yeah, Scott Bale. Yes, and, yeah. and I have a picture of him on my computer next to the MyPillow.com guy, Mike Lindell. My <laughs> They're good buddies. Like a like a background, like your your desktop background. Well, it's on my nightstand. Okay. <laughs> Mike's taking a big regimen of oleandra right now. That's, <laughs> that's 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 what's going on. So, hydroxychloroquine, ole yeah. and oleandra, and UV light. Mm -hmm. He's getting UV light into his veins. <laughs> actually, I, actually, I've been promoting Y9D, which is the old secret ingredient in Tennessee Pride sausage. <laughs> I don't know if you remember the commercial, but that was the secret ingredient. <laughs> right. All right, so, Rand, let's talk about what you're going to talk about in Strange Realities. All right, so... Um, the talk is going to be a, a general overview 
of the hollow earth and kind of with a focus on um, like sort of the history of it, um, sort of the various theories around it, um, but especially focusing on like subterranean fiction and fiction built around it. Um, Cause that's something that's fascinating for a while. I, I recently wrote um, an essay for a collection about uh, fey themes and pop culture. And my essay was on uh, Takashi Shimizu's um, low budget direct-to-video horror film, Maridito, where I um, kind of talk about the, the changeling narrative in that movie, but also um, the sort of whole Greek Kataba uh, system like narrative about like descent into the underworld, uh, the gaining of knowledge and then bringing that knowledge or failing to bring that knowledge back up to the surface. And so a part of the discussion is also going to be around that, about um, sort of, you know, journeys into the underworld, um, the whole idea of like crossing the abyss uh, to gain like knowledge of oneself and how, you know, failure to integrate that knowledge can destroy you. And I'm also going to be kind of focusing on um, a little bit about like esoteric Nazism. And it's uh, some of the, you know, it's if possible to separate some of the hollow earth stuff from like, uh, you know, the, the real Becoming Race book and the office, uh, you know, the office and um, like the Tool Society and stuff. And a, a few things, um, I sort of was hinting on this, about this on Twitter, about how the ending is going to be kind of a downer. So I'm not going to spoil it, uh, but I'm also going to talk a bit about what the, the real Hollow Earth and um, what who the real Darrow are. So. Okay. That'll, that they'll they'll see when they uh, <laughs> when the presentation happens. But um, some of that some of those ideas about uh, um, the the quote unquote real Hollow Earth were some stuff that uh, uh, Michael Judge and like um, Bryce Belden and some people were talking about on the Tronon podcast um, when they were doing their whole series on uh, Colonia Dignidad and um, like the Nazi International and the Spider Network stuff. So mm -hmm. there was a brief discussion of the hollow earth on it. I listened to it. Um, it just got the wheels in my head turning. So I said, I was like, you know, I wrote this essay. My mind is all hollow earth stuff right now. So it, I kind of want to do like a full book on it. So that's kind of like what I'm building up to. So I thought this would be a good place to kind of get some of my initial research down, you know, so people can look at it. Cause a lot of people are not really super familiar with the concept to start with other than just like a basic idea or like, I mean, the thing that fascinated me was like, even though there are, uh, you know, ancient narratives of like underground kingdoms and subterranean kingdoms, fairy kingdoms, um, like I didn't realize before uh, doing this research that a lot of indigenous peoples in, in the Americas believed that they came from underground mm -hmm. originally, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, which is really fascinating to me because I'm also at the same time reading um, the Cosmic War stuff by Joe Farrell. So, I've been kind of working through that book as well. And so seeing some of those narratives link up has been really super interesting to me, so. Cool, that sounds yeah. real fascinating. So we're yeah, gonna it would be an enjoyable kind of introduction for people. So we're gonna, gonna, gonna get this from like an occult angle, from like a conspiracy angle, from like kind of like a mythology angle. Mm -hmm. We're gonna get- Yeah, gonna get kind of touching the over a little places. bit. Not, Probably not going into any one of them like super deeply because I mean yeah. there's a lot of <laughs> a lot you could go into there, especially with on the conspiracy side. Um, right. But I think you know uh, the whole you know cave monster 
thing has seen a resurgence in the past you know year or two because of hellier and that sort of thing so um the whole idea that there are always sort of strange paranormal things happening around cave systems i think is something that's like always fascinated me i don't know i think that i think the hollow earth and the idea of there being like this vast subterranean underworld full of secret things underneath our feet is like very evocative for me and it, it has been i think it is for a lot of people yeah i mean it's really like have you done any spelunking yourself uh yeah actually um not like super intense spelunking but um well you guys are in tennessee have you ever been to raccoon mountain in tennessee uh, i'm i'm really close to raccoon mountain right now actually. okay yeah they've got a really cool cave that they offer like guided tours through yeah. and i did that yeah. when i was younger and it was a lot of fun yeah i know so, i know i know exactly what you're talking about and yeah, matter yeah, of fact, yeah. I mean, there's caves all over in this area mm-hmm. uh, where I am, Chattanooga. I mean, it's, it's, um, I mean, you know, Ruby Falls, you know, mm-hmm. in and of itself. I mean, that's, you know, you know, kind of like this tourist trap, right? But it's, <laughs> but it's like the, the, and it's the, the caves are, the, the falls are piped in, but like the caves are just amazing. Yeah. They found like, uh, I mean, like Nashville too. I mean, they found like saber tooth tiger. But they also found the same thing here, as, here as well. So, these these cave systems around here are pretty are pretty vast in Tennessee and up in up into Kentucky. Yeah, pretty- there's even stuff that I've been researching like locally in the area, like in Minneapolis, um, where uh, I think it was the the Nesmith Cave hoax, where it was this. It's considered a hoax now, but I have my doubts about that. Like, I don't know. There's a lot of weird little things that are part of the the hoax that make me think it may be maybe maybe not real, but maybe a little more than just a hoax. Um, but that this um, business owner here, I think it was like the late 1800s, had claimed that he had found uh, like because there's like a lot of like sandstone, limestone, and stuff around the river. And so just have, I might have broken up there for a second. A lot of these caves, or a lot of these buildings and, and businesses, and so especially breweries would have sort of underground cellars dug out into these cave systems and stuff. And this guy had claimed that at the back of one of these, you know, cellars or whatever that they had dug out, um, he had moved this like stone slab and had found this spiral staircase like going down into the, the earth. And he followed it down uh, with a group of people and inside they like found like these giant sarcophagus sarcophagi with like you know eight foot tall skeletons in it like you know uh, utensils and cookware and stuff around like they, they described it like their words were a fairy kingdom mm-hmm. and uh, they traveled like far enough until they ran out of rope because they were using rope to like you know not get lost and they said there were like swords and like all kinds of weird stuff in there and they heard like some kind of noise that like frightened them and they all ran back out and then they couldn't find the entrance again like the entrance like, disappeared apparently and they never could like show other people where it was and people came from all over the country like to look at this because it was in the newspapers that's how people like knew about it and you know now it's considered a hoax but you know i don't know i've been doing this stuff for too long <laughs> i hear a story like that and i'm like that's not the only time i've ever heard stories like that. so well like like alan greenfield yeah. said the last time we had a mom was he doesn't believe there's such things as a hoax. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, when I hear Alan and like people say that, it's, it makes me think like 
even if it was a hoax, I mean, I don't know. There are a lot of weird cave systems. Or what's there's what a lot of weird stuff that goes on in them. What's the intention of creating that story? Yeah, yeah. And what is that? Like, you were going to say something. I think interrupted you. Oh, well, I was just going to say, I mean, as far as, uh, you know, the fascination with caves, it's such like a primal thing. I mean, really, our earliest temples and so forth were usually built underground or usually based underground in cave systems and so forth. Um, mm -hmm. Kind of thinking of like what is the real famous one in France, um, the sorcerer, what is it or something? Um, can't remember now. But um, yeah, no, I mean, I think there's definitely something very much to that. It's been such a fascination for us. I mean, really, since the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a fun little sync on that is that um, I think you guys had had Joe on a while back who was doing the research about Vergas, Minnesota, about like the murders and stuff that were happening there or as possible like cult activity and stuff. There were like some unsolved cases. And um, I remember this is when I was like really deep into like the secrets after the UFO stuff like last you know, December. And I like when he was talking to me about this stuff, I went and looked at the name Vergus because I thought it was like a strange name for a town. And I found a link to uh, a Greek battle, like in the Greek War of Independence or like Greek Civil War or something, where um, it was like the Battle of Vergus. And it took place near a town called Deiros that was the site of a massive subterranean cave complex that was used in neolithic times for like religious purposes mm -hmm. so like seeing you know seeing the name dero and then like <laughs> also being like a cave system and stuff and i'm going to go into there's that's the thing about the shaver mystery stuff because i mean like i don't know i'm i'm fairly certain at this point that richard shaver was not really like very well i'll put it that way I think a lot of his stories probably weren't necessarily real, quote unquote. Um, but there's all of these weird sinks that pop up around, like especially the name Darrow. Like I wrote an article about this a couple of years ago about how there's this uh, old series of TV serials or not, they were like film serials. I guess they weren't, wasn't TV then, but it was called like the Phantom Empire. It's all public domain now, so you can go watch it. But it's yeah. like it's like a Western right. serial about this group of like cowboys and stuff like like finding this underground kingdom full of this like hyper advanced technology and there's like you know guys with ray guns and stuff like that and the main guy I think his name is uh, the main actor's name is Frankie Darrow and like I always like I speculate in the article that like I wonder if Shaver saw this serial right in the theater or something and then got that name in his head yeah it just got all mixed up in his it just got all mixed up in his mind yeah but then i i yeah. see stuff like you know the cave system called like you know Eros or whatever and it almost makes me wonder if it isn't more of like a twilight language kind of mm -hmm. thing where you have mm -hmm. like these these words that keep repeating in similar narratives you know and then like none of them are completely true but they're also there's like little nuggets of truth within each one it's very odd But yeah, cool. Are you familiar with that serial, Doctor Future? Because I saw you like shake. Uh, not I have it. Yeah, as you know, I have it. If if you ask me, you know I have it. I thought <laughs> I thought Roy Rogers was in that one too. 
unless there's unless there's another one like it. But I was thinking Roy mm-hmm. Rogers was involved. He, yeah, I maybe. Think so. Yeah, yeah. Because I looked that up when uh, I don't I think you mentioned that on Where Did the Road Go? Tr- trigger. I don't want to trigger anybody by saying it. Okay. <laughs> I just didn't want to trigger anybody by mentioning Roy. Well, we were mentioning, uh, you were mentioning hoaxes, okay, earlier. And um, one of the, in Minnesota, but it's interesting, not too far from there, uh, it was at Fort Dodge Bike was the Cardiff Giant, which incidentally was the same same place where the guy who, who the, the actual RC Christian that you found out built the Guidestones. Right, right. You see a picture of the original card of giant in that documentary, Dark Clouds Over Alberton. Although I cover part of it because it acted semi semi accurate comical structures um, below the waist, if you know what I mean, in in uh-huh. in uh, granite. So he had to partially cover it, but. Uh, yeah, that in fact, I mentioned that at the end of my blog post I just put up at the Two Spies Report at the end, where I where I was talking about a lot of these people selling these, uh, you know, COVID fixes. And I mentioned the phrase that uh, they often attribute to P.T. Barnum, that there's a sucker born every minute. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned in there a little research, I found out it wasn't P.T. Barnum that said that. It was actually a doctor who bought the card of Giant from the guy who originally had it made and the guy who had it made was up in the Northeast and he commissioned them in Fort Dodge to make this, to try to fool some gullible Christian uh, clergymen who were talking about Nephilim and talking about the Genesis six Nephilim. And so he had them commission it, make it, and then had it buried on property. And they accidentally discovered it, that it was supposedly, you know, fossilized remains of a Nephilim. And so that got all of the Christians spooled up prophecy stuff. And then he exposed it as a hoax. And then a doctor bought it from him to tour it around as a sideshow. And P.T. Barnum wanted to buy it from him. And uh, he refused to sell it to P.T. Barnum. So Barnum says, well, what the heck? I'll make my own Cardiff Giant. And he made his own and toured it around as if it was the original one. So that's what made this doctor when he realized that Barnum didn't even care if there was more than one. And he said, well, there's a sucker born every minute talking about, yeah. you know, people who would buy, pay to see it. And of course, most of them saw it at Barnum's thing. So the, the giants, whether they're, they were, they were made or is just some weird fossils of some prehistoric creature. It was just such a big business at the time, you know, for all these people in these small towns and stuff and people come from miles away and pay a nickel or whatever to see it. Um, we were recently on this uh, on the show, uh, Brothers of the Serpent, and and you know they're speculating about whether there's more to the giants and and uh, you know some vast Smithsonian hoax. And I'm just really skeptical about it because of that, because it was like it was a business, and that's where you know people right. like Ricky Barnum got their start. I mean, it was just a business all across America. It still is. It still is a business. I mean, did anybody mention Defender earlier? Yeah. I mean, there's a whole cottage industry. Yeah. I mean, just to be an elongated head expert, they offer degrees now in elongated head expertise. You can have you can have tours. Now now they have now they have like uh ship tours. It's all 
you know, all Nephilim all the time on, on board. <laughs> so, I mean, what, what has changed? Yeah. Yeah. Come to the Nephilim cruise. Uh, Ren, Dave Albin wants to know if it's Brewer's Cave. It's it's not, um, but okay. it's very similar. Same idea. Like Brewer's Cave is in Utah. The one, the Nesmith Cave hoax I'm talking about. That's in. It was in Minneapolis, like Minneapolis, St. Paul. Um, okay. But very very okay. similar. You know, so it's like the same idea, and it, it's not the only caves. Like you know, there's the um, I'm trying to remember the name of the cave system where the Paiute uh, Native Americans like said that there was a race of like redheaded cannibalistic giants that lived in the cave and they had like set fire to the cave and had like killed them all. And then apparently there were like giant skeletons found in the cave and like with a uh, reed sandals and that sort of thing. And then the Smithsonian like took the bones and then no, no one knows where the bones are. So it, there's stories like this that pop up all over, especially like in the 1800s. Yeah. So yeah. It's very, very odd. Like, I don't know what to make of some of it. And some of it probably is like airship mystery style hoaxes that are just because it was like popular news at the time. You know, people saw it in the newspaper. They thought, oh, well, maybe I can get some publicity for something by by doing it. So I don't doubt that some of the stuff is hoaxes, but there's too many of those stories to um, not like for me not to like pay attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, either way. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I do believe, like, you know, like I said, I've been reading a lot of the Cosmic War, you know, Giza Death Star kind of stuff. And, like, I don't know how deep in the pain I go with some of that stuff. But I will say that I hold, like, a romantic fascination with the idea that the history of humanity is a lot longer and a lot weirder than we think it is. You know, that there Mm -hmm. was that, you know, there may have been people here long before the Native Americans came over, um, you know, that our history may stretch back millions of years rather than just you know the forty thousand that we know about i don't you can't prove any of that stuff so that's you know that's the skeptical argument right there's no proof for any of it um but it's one of my favorite areas of like speculation yeah um something we brought up with them too is like we were talking about how um a lot of these questions are more spiritual and philosophical questions and when um people come into you know being at odds with archaeology hmm. and you know the the archaeologists do have uh, you know they're trying to build a science and they're trying to build it out of the all the uh, extremes of antiquarianism uh, that you know happened before when it's just anyone with a couple bucks could go out and start digging mounds and stuff like that mm-hmm. but i think the archaeologists have to kind of just understand too that a lot of these people are more on a on a more spiritual quest to understand like who we are you know mm-hmm. they're not really archaeological questions and that uh these are bigger mm-hmm. questions that people are always going to be speculating on and searching for yeah and it you know that i think some people are right to um that that nostalgia right for a past for a past that may have never existed um i think people do need to be careful when researching that kind of stuff too because we see the end result of that in stuff like, you know, the Volkish and movement and like esoteric Nazism and stuff. Cause that's like the other side of the coin. Yep. Right. Like believing like that, that sort of fascist idea of believing in this, this history that never really existed. Um, so that, that's like a constant danger doing any of this kind of research, but it's something that if you're aware of it can, you know, yeah. you can work around. It. I just think you got to be conscious of all the context of what's happened already and what the you know 
what the origin of a lot of that stuff is and the yeah. kind of the dark ages that the archaeologists feel like they're getting out of. Uh, so yeah. it's, they're not really going to be receptive, but, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a danger in building a worldview out of that, right? Like, because when I, when I study this stuff or when I'm reading this stuff or speculating about it, it's, for me, it's just fun. Like I enjoy it. Like I enjoy it. It's kind of like, I have this very pulp science fiction, like, space opera romance in my head for like the history of humanity but i don't make any claims that that's probably what really what it was really like or anything it's just fun for me to think about so i think you know i I think the danger comes and this is like all conspiracy or paranormal stuff right when you start getting high on your own supply you know and like really going too hard into any one thing and like really buying it or building a whole worldview out of this stuff like use it to inform your worldview and use it to speculate and have fun with your friends, but, you know, maybe don't build a, a, a fascist society on top of it. Yeah, that would, uh, that would definitely be, be a good thing. Don't do that. Uh, Dr. Future Recluse, you guys have any thoughts on that or David on any of this stuff? In terms of like what exactly the dangers of uh, the sort of primordial past traditions or something to that effect, or yeah, yeah I mean, it could be it could be that, or just like you know, is there anything to any uh, of any of that? Uh, well, I mean, I think it's always you know interesting, and that kind of gets in a little bit to what I'm going to be talking about in my presentation is when you start kind of blending. Uh, fact with fiction. Um, of course, one of the uh, interests that I've had recently was chronicling the, uh, the cybernetic cultural research unit at the University of Warwick in the uh, 90s. And they've, of course, gained a lot of infamy in recent years because Nick Land got his start there. Of course, he kind of became the uh, one of the dar- darlings of the neo-reactionary right with the whole dark enlightenment thing and so forth. Uh, but they almost really built a whole cult around this whole concept of what they dubbed um, hyperstition. And essentially, this was uh, theory fiction or something to that effect. It's a theory that you want that you present as a work of fiction, and it would almost become a kind of weaponized meme, if you will, if you could get enough people to believe in it. I mean, this actually led them to sort of idolizing the uh, the John Carpenter film In the Mouth of Madness, which if you guys have ever seen it, it's about essentially an author's work that becomes reality, and that's because he's become more widely read than the Bible uh, by the time the film starts to happen. And it also brings about an apocalypse as well, but that's another topic. But um, yeah, I mean, it's just a really fascinating concept of like when you do start this strange merger of reality and fiction. um, And I mean, I think that this, even though it's not really talked about a lot, this has been a kind of esoteric tradition for a very long time. Of course, you know, you can go back to uh, Kenneth Grant and his obsession with Lovecraft and that type of thing. But I mean, certainly I think it goes back even further when you do get into things like the coming race and that type of stuff where it is written very much with, uh, you know, a strong knowledge of occult doctrine that's incorporated into what is nominally a fictional story. But then eventually some people start trying to make it into a reality. And, um, you know, that whole process is very fascinating and it does raise a lot of interesting questions as to whether it is a bunch of humbug or if there is some basis to all of it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, Blavatsky and uh, Steiner both took like the coming race as like real, you know, like they considered it like a real document and that it was like yeah. real was a real thing uh, and, and like completely ran to that, you know, and that led, you know, 
And I mean, I think, you know, that sort of shows why, you know, the CCRU was so sophisticated, because they did mm -hmm. recognize that a lot of times seeding ideals and civilization was most effectively done through the process of fiction, mm -hmm. rather than through activism or, you know, scholarly work or something to that effect. So, you know, yeah. it's, it's very fascinating. It certainly is. Yeah. Yeah. Your episode on the farm about that was really, really cool. And And like, I've got this interest in that too because of the whole like atlantis lemuria thing that they believe you know like yeah that all started because like some guy uh I, I was i'm not gonna say who because i'm not gonna blow up their spot but some guy tried to insult me by saying that i was a lemurian like my interest in like goetia and stuff was <laughs> lemurian, and he was an atlantean so he was like all oh, okay. white and goodness and stuff mm -hmm. and i was a lemurian and i didn't know what he was talking about <laughs> so and then years later, I'm like reading my hyperstition stuff, and I'm like, oh, okay, that's actually cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm a Lemurian shooter. If they ever do that to you again, go back and tell them that he's a shadow, man. Babylon 5 fans, but that's really doing that with the Vorlons, who are essentially the stand-in for the Atlanteans and the Shadows, or the stand-in for the Laborians, the gods of order and the gods of chaos and all this But yeah, they won't know what the hell you're talking about when you bring that out on them, man. Hell, I mean, it's pretty mm -hmm. widely established now that that's really what uh, Mormonism comes from, is a fictional work <laughs> that was adapted. Um, oh, yeah, I was just having Mormonism explained to me with, like, the different spheres of heaven or something in the outer darkness and what the city of Enoch or Zion that will come down from space uh, in the end times. Uh, I finally understood, though, why it was featured so prominently in the early part of The Expanse, though. It makes a lot of sense now. <laughs> well, the, there was an antiquarian who was writing this big, epic, uh, you know, fictional novel about Semitic peoples in some ancient America and uh, he died and left his manuscript at a printing press who a friend of uh, Joseph Smith's family happened to work at. And um, that's one of the theories of how that all came about. So that was a literal you know, piece of fiction that was turned mm. into you know, one mm. of the fastest growing religions in the world. So. No, when I it was being explained mm -hmm. to me last night, I yeah. you know, my first thought was that this would be a great backdrop for a killer D&D &D game. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a recluse. Um, this yeah, one on top of the CCRU I, stuff. Um, Pardon me? Or go ahead, Dr. Future. Go ahead, Dr. Future. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Because uh, Adam had just asked me what I thought about it. And if you're talking about the subterranean realities and all that, it's mm -hmm. ironic that I, if you can see, I don't know if you can see my logo on my shirt. Uh, this is my original Future Quake shirt that I had made in 2005 when I started it. And it mm -hmm. was rolled out and debuted at the Ancient of Days conference of 2005 in Roswell. And there I got to hear a gentleman on these topics that has a ton more credibility than all the rest of us combined. And that's, of course, William Schnoblin. And William Schnoblin was a battle in the several layers underground at the forest where the reptilians were fought by the humans. <laughs> and in fact I got his book I told Adam it has it has more weirdness per page of anything of any guests that you all have had or I have had it's called Space in, uh, Strange Invaders I think it was called or Space Invaders but uh, of course I'm you know tying in the, the Mormon lead with yeah, well, the, the, the tie-in to the Mormon theme you had with the underground, he also <laughs> talked about 
<laughs> okay, that's a good one. Yeah. Now that's that's mundane compared to Space Invaders. I'll have to go show it to you. Uh, but anyway, he talked about at the conference about how his wife had a higher bloodline than the Mormons, and he did, even though he was a you know he was a Mormon priest and satanic and wicked and. <laughs> What else? I forget. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was able, because of her name connections, to be able to go. Do you yeah, know he got funny? to go into the basement of the Mormon tabernacle. Uh, what's mm-hmm. that, Dave? Well, he's actually, uh, he did have connections to a cult. Dave, what were you going to say? Oh, he, he, Bill does have connections to occult groups. And there's a great Freder Barnabas or Barabbas. I can't remember uh, what it's his name Barabbas. is. Freder Barabbas has an amazing write-up on this guy's history, um, yeah. which which delves into yeah. what he was actually involved with. Um, which uh, Ren he he knew uh, Berto. Oh yeah, yeah yeah that makes sense. Ooh, yeah, and then he yeah and then he flipped yeah. uh, he flipped into what what Doctor Future is describing, which was basically a, a carnival salesman on the uh, the Christian. <laughs> and what was this guy's name again? The Mormon that you're talking well, about, or Qual- William Schneblin. Schneblin. Okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, well, just just to get back, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Seri- seriously, back to what he was trying to say credibly, he got into the basement of the Mormon Tabernacle, and he actually saw the reptilians in the basement oh. of the Mormon <laughs> Tabernacle that ran it. So I don't know if you all have covered that in your research, <laughs> but he did talk about that extensively uh, at his talk. But you was know, I was a underwear. neophyte in 2005. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't know. I, I do want like, to incorporate. Yeah. I, I do want to incorporate some of the alien, like cave base, like uh, you know, Dulce legend stuff, like into the book. I don't know if I'm going to go into too much of that in the presentation, just because of time. Uh, but that's definitely a part of like the book I'm working on because I think that that is just modern version of those 18th century stories about finding, you know, fairy kingdoms underground. Like, the, you know, you have the ninth, you know, 20th century version, which is alien reptilian bases underground and stuff. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I'm definitely going to gonna get into that. Yeah, the, know, the, the, don't forget the place stack. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, 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 the Phil Snyder stuff. Part of that too. Oh, what I wanted to ask uh, Recluse about, since he did, did the CCRU stuff and the Nick Glenn stuff, like, are you familiar with the the DKMU, the Domus Chaotica Marauder Underground? No, I'm not. Ooh, you should look that up because that's like, imagine if a group of people took the hyperstition thing and like ran with it. Was um, it like before or after the CCRU? It was, I actually don't know the timeline on that. I'm pretty sure it's after. Okay. It's like, it was like a completely online group of uh, chaos magicians who okay. and their basic idea, like their basic goal of the DKMU was to like destroy reality, like just crack reality open. And so that, they would form like these cadres and groups that would like do weird things in public and like put up sigils and stuff. Like they even, they created this thing especially called the linking sigil that they would all use in, in their work and stuff. Like the DKMU is something I just kind of found out about recently, and I've been going down that rabbit hole. But I think you would you would find them really interesting. Yes, no, that's mm-hmm. very interesting. It's kind of in keeping with where a lot of my research has been going mm-hmm. in terms of destroying reality. That is to say, yeah, yeah. 
It's exactly sure. why we want all of you at our conference. Um, it's yes, be- this this type of this type of conversation right here is exactly that. Uh, was there any questions you guys might have had other for each other though? Like um, David, I know you might have some questions for either Recluse or Doc Future. Yeah. Um, so uh, Recluse, with in terms of the CCRU stuff. How do you see something like the TTSA fitting into that kind of like uh, metafiction, you know, tied to some some deeper stuff? I think there's, I mean, because that's so rife in the ufology. Is you know, yeah, I mean, I de- well, especially when you, I mean, with uh, Lavenda's involvement and all of that, and I mean, of course, he's really going wholesale into kind of crafting his own Lovecraftian fiction now after sort of advocating the whole Dark Lord thing and linking it right. up with Lovecraft's fiction and so forth. So yeah, I mean, I definitely think that there is some of that. I mean, it's kind of a, uh, I mean, it's interesting because it seems like a lot of these different sort of quasi factions within the elites have gotten into that. I mean, with the CCRU stuff, you sort of see Nick Land's affiliation with the dark enlightenment which ties into peter Thiel and kind of the paypal mafia and those types of people in the uk you've got dominic cummings who uh is theoretically a big proponent of accelerationism which was another one of the big ideologies that the ccru was into and then conversely i mean i think you have some of that also um coming into the TTSA, I think a lot of it probably derives from uh, just really the study of Jacques Vallée and that type of thing, uh, really, and then just sort of the whole climate that was going around, uh, what was it, Stanford and SRI in the 70s, because I mean, this is the whole era where you've got Robert Anton Wilson, the cosmic trigger, and that brings in all the stuff with Kenneth Grant and what have you. I mean, certainly these guys had to have been aware of Grant's whole, you know, I mean, ideals and Lovecraft heavily incorporated into the Illuminatus trilogy by Wilson. So, I mean, it was in the air, you know, I mean, I think these guys are aware of it. And I mean, I would bet money that Lavenda certainly is. So you kind of, you know, I mean, it's just interesting because you see it coming at like some of these different angles, nominally with this sort of leftist approach, globalist approach from the TTSA, and then kind of on the right, uh, going, going into the sort of the Cambridge Analytica stuff that Teal's involved with. And then there's all this other stuff with land and what have you. So, I mean, it's very interesting to see this kind of, I mean, how mainstream a lot of it's become in a sense. Yeah, yeah, but it's it, yeah, it's just it's rolled out now. It's, they they did they did seed uh, the destruction of reality, and it's <laughs> interesting too. I mean, with uh, Doctor Future, we, we mentioned a couple times the Defender Publishing, um, and the you know the kind of Nephilim stuff. If you look into this uh, kind of alternate reality gaming and psycho cybernetic like. Uh, narrative warfare kind of stuff defender is 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 a prime example of that just in in creating a a mythology around what's so special about hero bread soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas these ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar fewer calories and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health shop now at hero.co what's the easiest choice you can make window instead of middle seat Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket. Outsourcing business tasks you hate. What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. 
all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. You know, um, this, the, the return of the Nephilim, this I weaving it through politics and all of that. You know, I mean, they've got their uh, their current stuff is on the Antichrist and Final Solution. Um, and how, you know, that's being ushered in by Antifa and the, the Pope, <laughs> you know, <laughs> as, as those two things merge together in, uh, in a Nephilim war against uh, the righteousness of someone else. I don't know. I'm not sure what the what the righteous group is. I guess it's. It's probably the people behind Shadowgate who are warning about like the elaborate plot by the Democrats and Republicans. Yeah, that's, that's exactly. Yeah, that's Defender Publishing, Skywatch TV. Yeah, Shadowgate, exactly. Yeah. Which, I guess yeah. that's why I've always referred to them as the as the grindhouse of God's exploitation. <laughs> that's exploitation. Yeah, <laughs> that was. I've been trying to remember exactly what you called them, and that's that. That is the grindhouse of God's exploitation. It is. Yeah. Oh man, have you? Recluse, have you read some of these things? Or Ren, have you read any of this stuff? This, no, I'm familiar with it. This I, I get it in my email every Sunday morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm so. I, so I wrote a piece on uh, the when the, the Project Blue Book show came out. I wrote a piece on mediating the UFO narrative, and I was so excited when I saw the hit come in from Skywatch TV. They had they they just go out and kind of scoop. Uh, blog posts and that, and then they reframe them through the Antichrist Final Solution stuff and mm-hmm. returns and that. And then, you know, they just put it up and then relink to the site. And I was like, oh man, they totally, they hijacked my research and like have framed it now through this thing that I'm obsessed with. I mean, I have so many of these books because this, like this just, if you can read that title. The dawn of techno-dimensional spiritual warfare. <laughs> All this, like that's a lot, like it's a lot. Of small, we can't see it. Read it. Oh, I can't even. Okay. How genetics, robotics, Robot. artificial intelligence, and synthetic biology, nanotechnology, and human enhancement help the Antichrist. I can't read the second part. I'm just going to assume that it says Antichrist. Yeah. Uh, the dawn Here's of the, dawn of the, the human enhancement herald. Oh, Harold. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So this is, you know, and this, this well, the Grindhouse of Godsploitation, it's fantastic. They And they're constantly on Jim Baker's show. So you have mm-hmm. you know, tied in with the the kind of apocalyptic, um, I don't, yeah. It's a, it's How a much deep- of that um, apocalypticism do you think drives policy nowadays? Because, like, I feel like well, you see it leak through the well, cracks with people yeah. like Lindsey Graham, but, like, no, yeah. that, that's the crazy thing is that, and that's that's kind of what Doctor Futures, uh, you know, his book is about. Is mm-hmm. the so I've been obsessed with this since I lived up in Chicago. I was I, I actually grew went to high school right outside of Wheaton, uh, which is where the Billy Graham Center is, and that. Mm-hmm. And um, my brother worked for the Seven Hundred Club, so I've had like a kind of insight into this stuff and seeing it sort of flow through, and. So I've been really interested in that kind of like the the political meetup of it because mm-hmm. uh, it just gets into this strange thing. And what was really interesting is uh, the 
the Trump as Cirrus prophecy comes out in like 2014. So two years before, you know, he's even running or anything mm -hmm. like that, starting mm -hmm. to seed through Charisma Magazine and all this stuff, this idea of this, you know, this leader, this world leader that's going to come in as the new Cirrus, who's the pagan king that that helps God's people. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're literally seeding it throughout books. There's a book uh, by Perry Stone on prophecy. And he's writing about what the perfect figure would be to come in and change American culture. And he mm -hmm. doesn't like Trump, but he describes a charismatic person who's bold, who's kind of an asshole, who, you know, mm -hmm. all these things. And you look at it now and you're like, oh, man, they were like, again, just kind of like laying mm -hmm. these little seeds of this idea. And, you know, if it hadn't been Trump, it could have been somebody else that they they supported and put money behind. Mm -hmm. And the amount of money that flows through this stuff is absolutely insane. Mm -hmm. When you look at, so the psychic service industry in the United States is a $2 billion a year industry. The Christian, the Christian product market dwarfs that significantly. And, you know, the, the thing that really clicked in my head was that you can go to Walmart and you can go to grocery stores all over the United States. And these people's books, not Tom Horn necessarily, but folks associated with Horn and folks that are within the milieu, uh, they're available right in the in the book section at your grocery store. There's who else's books are there? It's like uh, Tom Clancy, maybe you know. It's it's mm -hmm. bestseller books, and then this stuff. And I mean, it's you know uh, the thing that really got me, and I'll be talking about this in my presentation was uh, prayers that route demons was in Walmart, and I was like, <laughs> what? Like, what is this doing here? And you know, it, it's a it's what I call a grocery store grimoire. It's it's literally a book. Mm -hmm in magic and you know there it is in walmart and so and the thing when i looked into it when i actually got into it why is it in walmart because it makes money walmart yeah. out there for any ideological reason they're putting it out there because people buy it you know um so you know yeah the political influence on this stuff is insane i mean it's yeah. crazy and when you've got trump having paula white come up there and Paula White is connected to the uh, Nigerian Pentecostalism and the spread mm -hmm. of charismatic uh, Christianity as a as a uh, geopolitical tool in Africa mm -hmm. and South America. You know, she's mixed in with that. So it's yeah, it's just yeah. it's literally shaping the way that that the United States mm -hmm. is currently. You know, and you look at QAnon, right? Like if you look at the Shadowgate stuff or the Shadowland stuff uh, from Skywatch TV and defender publishing guys it's, mm -hmm. it's essentially QAnon without saying QAnon. Yeah. you know and it's 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 the same exact narrative but mm -hmm. you know, rebranded as, as antichrist you know? but they see and of course uh environmental policy they, is fueled by this you know basically the attitude of a lot of the republican establishment is oh well you know the let's just uh let's speed up the end you know god is just gonna uh Put, put the earth back right again anyway so we can just do whatever we want now. Yeah. Go ahead, Dr. Future. Uh, Dave, I, I was going to, by the way, I tell you, I think you have the coziest uh, locale there of any of us there. It <laughs> yeah. looks like a very cozy place where you are. Yeah, I want to be comfortable. Yeah. Although Recluse uh, does, have, the does have a cat right there. now. I think, <laughs> yeah. I, I think a, a guy who represents what I think you're talking about uh, in terms of influence is the Trump prophet. 
yeah. the Trump prophet was, you know, and the Trump prophecies was published by Defender. Um, and then they jointly produced the movie with Liberty University that was in actual theaters mm-hmm. that was in regular mainstream theaters. And uh, I got hold of a copy or Adam did. I can't remember. We watched it. And about two thirds of it was a really hokey kind of narrative. And the last third were guys like General Jerry Boykin and other people basically making a pitch for Israel and right wing talking points in an interview that comprised about the last third of the movie. Well, and then that, but that it went the, to all these mainstream movie theaters. Yeah. And that shows the connect interconnected network because Jerry Boykin is with uh, Rick Joyner of Morningstar Ministries, which has connections to uh, right. Russian Malta. You know, so you have all these you have all these interweaving things that the um, what what was re- it's interesting with the the moral majority concept, which a lot of people are familiar with. This idea, you know, that in 1979, this you know this idea of the moral majority, which uh, essentially was uh, it was either a Pew forum or a Gallup poll. I think it was a Gallup poll said that uh, uh, the majority of Americans believed in God. Not that they believed in the Christian God, just that they believed in God. And so then they were able to go forward with this idea of the moral majority. But that conversation was had amongst parachurch organizations and church leaders, but it wasn't given to the congregations. So you had charismatic congregations who'd look at Southern Baptists and be like, they're wrong. But then you'd have charismatic leaders and Southern Baptist leaders having private conferences on prayer or something like that. And they'd be having these conversations which were very political in in nature. You know, and you see that with a movie like that where you're talking about Jerry Boykin, who is, you know, I mean, Defender Publishing, uh, I was actually looking at it the other day, they've got a guy who's still consulting with the Pentagon. And he's, he's you know, talking about not when return and stuff like that. And it's like, I don't want to talk. Like, I don't want this guy you know, talking about the return of the Nephilim and then also, you know, giving policy to the Pentagon. Like that's, that's <laughs> God. Living a weird mm-hmm. yeah, no, I think like- Recluse is starting to shape, <laughs> Recluse is starting to shape shift into a chimera. Either that or an animal has popped in his lap. I can't tell <laughs> whether there's two entities or one there. This is actually my He's scratching his own butt or an animal. (laughs) How much, um, something I've I've thought about since you mentioned, um, like the Israeli lobby is being a part of this. Like, how much do you think of this is like being actually manipulated by political powers within Israel? (laughs) Like, I think one of you brought up, uh, there's like a connection there and what you're going to be presenting on, but I think that's a really fascinating thing. I mean, I definitely think because I mean, it's just it, Israel makes so much money alone just from Christians going there, like on holiday and mm-hmm. whatever year. I mean, that's just a ma- the tourism alone is a massive garden industry for them. So, I mean, just from a financial standpoint alone, they've got such a vested interest in all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. What nobody else wants to jump in now? Yes. <laughs> as far as the. As far as the roots, the roots of it, uh, you know, my older brother and I had a, a, a real seminal event in our life in 1976 when we were walking through a Kmart and saw a copy of the late great planet Earth. Mm. And we were church growing guys, but it really had a big impact that like current events could be reflected in something in the Bible. 
And then things started to take off elsewhere. Cable religious program came up and started augmenting that with prophecy. But in doing some research on this for a book that I'll be publishing, I was able to get my hand on a very, very unique, amazing that I got about a guy named Yona Malachi. And he was a sort of a, a social scientist that worked for the Israeli government. And the book was published posthumously. He died at a very young age and then they published it. But it was about his trip over to America, seeing how he could get evangelicals on board with supporting the nation state of Israel. The irony Mm -hmm. is what he writes in this book was at that time, most of the big people in American Bible prophecy were were standing with the Palestinians. And they were very Mm. critical of Israel at the time, which I had never heard. That was news to me. But what he said was, was that the Seventh-day Adventists and the Jehovah's Witnesses were were more like British Israelite in their view. Mm. And they recommended building on that. And because of the time he was there, I wondered if he actually had made his way to Southern California and had an influence on the circles of Hensley when he... Out of the blue, nobody knew how Lindsay, he never had done a book before. He had a ghost writer, suddenly published and became best-selling book of the 1970s, of, of any nonfiction book. And no one could explain how he got promoted so heavily. And I, and I had suspicions that they must have crossed paths. And I was able to get some more information on Yona Malachi from some other books that he's forgotten in history. But he did make his way to Southern California in that area, and he went to an important school called Biola University. And he built, basically hand-built from scratch, a Christian Zionism platform and had Mm -hmm. them come out and announce this thing about the importance for Christians to standing with Israel. That was not a belief system prior to that time. And, and I was taught a different mythology, not that it was a big deal at my church, but when you got into the parachurch organization circles, once cable came out and you could see some of these other shows, internet really populated it. And they had a whole different narrative that this went back to the beginnings of the church. And it turns out back at that time, the, the prophecy community was very skeptical of the nation of Israel or whether God had any plan for it in prophecy. But Yonah Malachi and the Israeli government built from scratch this movement, from what I can tell, and mm-hmm. turned the ship around. And obviously, they've reaped enormous dividends for that investment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it certainly smacks of perception management. I mean. Yeah. Just like how you've explored, uh, Mike, how, how the uh, pro-business attitude of the American clergy is uh, you know, fairly recent invention as well. You know, all these things have been kind of engineered. Right. Right. Yeah. They started from a clean sheet of paper. The same thing with the, um, you know, America's divine destiny. You find Mm -hmm. a little bit of that in some Puritan literature, but mostly the overwhelming amount of Americans were here to make money. They, it was, they were here to trade with the Indians and get beaver pelts and send stuff back overseas. But, during the Cold War, as I document, others have too. They they said we got to come up with a sacred history because we got to make the Cold War a holy war. And so they had to first posture the the uh, communists as atheists, which by and large they are. But then they then they had to uh, 
make us as some kind of divine destiny and why the mantle fell on America to win the battle for God. Democracy throughout the world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you see that in, uh, and that, that process starts with, uh, with the very idea of Americana and, uh, you know, our ideas of like roots music and that kind of thing in terms of like American roots and that. Um, Cause you had in world war one, they had a hell of a time convincing German Americans, Irish Americans, african-americans and all these disparate groups you know hispanic americans and and everybody that they were american and needed to go over and fight a foreign war and you know people were like nah i'm kind of just chilling in my land here like i don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> no america you know and so they were like well how do we do this well we bring all these folk cultures together right we bring the you know it's the irish you know appalachian music and that kind of thing and you start to blend this narrative and so then in world war ii when they were trying to do it they were like well we're not stupid this time we're not just going to go out to these disparate groups who don't consider themselves american american we're going to actually start to engineer this this concept of americana and mm -hmm. you know what is what it is to be american and bring that all together and you've got people like alan lomax um, Zora Neale Hurston and, you know, all these people that were part of yeah. these, uh, funded or, you know, funded library of Congress trips to go collect folk culture, you know, they were out there doing their job as scholars, but on the mm -hmm. back end of that process is this kind of creation of the American myth, you know, and then mm -hmm. add to that, the fact that you have these, you know, uh, religious power groups and you know different kind of parachurch organizations and different conversations about what that means and that uh going into you know occult groups and that kind of thing you've got like yeah. uh alice bailey's you know ideas and that of, yeah of, that's what i was thinking with don't the the occult ideas of a divine destiny of america it seems like they really predate the christian ones in that like the secret uh was the manly p hall thing that's taken from the philosophical magazine and and those ideas, it seems like those are cult yeah. or they're really adopted by the also, but wasn't there an element of that in Mormonism yeah. too? Yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a um idea mm -hmm. that this is Zion. Yeah. Um, well, I, yeah, there's yeah, I mean that goes back mm -hmm. to you've got Francis Bacon, right? The yeah. and and the concept of the new world being uh this next step in in that. Mm -hmm. And but the but I think the the thing that's interesting about it is that a lot of those had more globally facing ideas like the new atlantis yeah it's more of kind of a, a global concept whereas well, we're, we're like a vanguard in bringing this new yeah. age yeah exactly and we're kind of like a it's more of like a diploma like a diplomatic like divine destiny versus what you get which is a more nationalistic kind of oh, military yeah. concept of america as like the thing mm -hmm. everybody else is the enemy and like mike pointed out during the cold war um, again, as a mechanism to kind of get everybody on the same page, that was necessary. And what's it, what's interesting now is we see stuff like um, when Alex Jones started coming out and started talking about the Bilderberg Group and all these things. I was really fascinated because there's a book called Disinformatia, which is about Soviet disinformation um, that was fed into Europe and, and seeded into the United States during the 80s um, and late 70s. And one of their narratives was the Bilderberg Group, because what the Bilderberg Group was doing was it was they were trying to organize businesses and corporations and, you know, like... Yeah, it was an anti-communist network. Yeah, originally. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, 
anti-communist network. And then you have Alex Jones coming out and increasingly now you can see where he's essentially spreading what, you know, go to RT, right? Go to Russia Today or look at what, you know, right. is coming out of Russian news. And Alex Jones is spreading, you know, and he's even on the um, Clint Watt, who's an FBI analyst of disinformation in that. He's on their their fellow traveler list for Russian disinformation. Well, I mean, that relationship is really old. And I mean, it really goes back to the aftermath of the uh, the First World War when the uh, it wasn't the KGB, but whatever. the one of the, They had quite a few predecessors, but one of them, the Cheka or something like that, they set up this. Um, it was called the Trust, and it was basically this monarchist white Russian organization that the KGB essentially was running and it was being used to bring like all of the whites into the fold so they could keep track of all of them. And that kind of morphed into all of like the other uh, the Europas, you know, the Eastern European immigrant groups over the years. I mean, the Ukrainians were like another one that was just heavily, heavily compromised by the KGB for years. And this later spread into the anti-communist far right networks uh, during the Cold War era. So yeah, it's kind of this odd thing where in a lot of cases you see like the far right actually being used to spread a lot of this uh you know propaganda that the soviets were trying to drop into the u.s because they had those long-standing ties going back at least to the first world war even even before the even before the revolution back in like the late 19th century the czarists were yeah. sending agents into every like any russian embassy you had guys that were being sent into european capitals and they were spreading their ideas and what they, you know, what they thought the, you know, Holy Russia, the whole Holy Russia idea and like a kind of being as a counterpoint to the West. So they've always kind of held themselves in that light. And it's, it's really interesting because it's like, I mean, with the early, you know, Soviet intelligence services, the Cheka, I can't remember what exactly it was called, but a lot of the guys. I think you're right. I think it's the Cheka. That was the first after the revolution. A lot of guys who ended up in there in senior. When, when was the NKVD? I think that twenties and thirties. Yeah. One of the guys who ended up in those, I mean, really all the way up to thirties, they had actually started out as um, informants for the czarist secret police. Yeah. Yeah. Monarchist intelligence officers, they switched sides to the Soviets. And then, you know, you fast forward to the early eighties. It really does seem like the nationalist revolution in Russia was driven by the KGB. I mean, they were the ones who really advocated perestroika. They're the ones that started getting everything privatized. And you see things like Alex was Alexander Dugan being given access to those uh, all those works by Jewish ally and what was it a Soviet library or something like that. So it also kind of begs the question: Who exactly turned who in the long run? Yeah, mm -hmm. but, I mean. Going to we'll a be, I think the U.S. will be asking that about paperclip for a <laughs> yeah. long time too. Yeah, <laughs> good point, Ren. What were you going to say, David? Oh well, with Evola, I mean Evola, you know his idea of a cult war, right? I mean, you you look at Evola's concept of of what is actually going on behind the scenes, and yeah, once you get folks that are operating on that level into it, even the writing in that, it becomes you know this kind of mimetic infection, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and then you've got people like Bannon, you know, who's, you know, tied to the Trump prophecies and, and all the rest of it. Well, and saying, I mean, almost like on the flip side of the coin from what you were saying with sort of the biblical prophecies being crafted to sort of point to Trump. I think like on some of this sort of occultic right, there was this whole... Yeah. 
concept almost of ushering in this Gregor, if you will, of chaos or something. And Trump is kind of now seen as the personification yeah. of something like that. Yeah. yeah. You had, I mean, you had those, uh, the, the kids that were out during the, the campaign in 2016, talking about the return of Thule and, and the rest of it, there was that one mm -hmm. that, and it was, it was kind of funny. I mean, you know, it was funny at the time, but it's not so funny now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the DKMU stuff I linked you to with uh, Recluse. Yes, I'm um, those guys were partially behind the Cult of Keck thing. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Well, Mike, you've written a, a book really about the Russians and their influence. I mean, you've written a whole book about it. Mm hmm. So I mean, you know, the, this right. is something that's come yeah, up several times. Say, yeah, in fact, I got a whole bunch of Holy War Chronicles to lead, but right, I had to do a crash course because I was bad mouthing everybody else. You know, I was doing the religious right, and I was looking at all the baggage of what I consider Western Christianity and Judaism and things like that. And I didn't know much about the Russian Orthodox Church, but. You know, you could argue the Russian Orthodox Church is running things in Russia as much as Putin is. Um, but I think they're sort of seamless in how they're doing it. But when you mentioned, Al, you know, Dugan, uh, I mean, Dugan really, I, you know, he is the Rasputin for. Uh, and when he has that forum there at, at with Alex Jones to present his information, I think he's done a lot to disseminate it. But it, to understand what their whole theory was about being the ancient or the third Rome uh, after Constantinople mm -hmm. and Rome's, the philosophy of Rome being a Eurasian empire and fighting mm -hmm. Carthage, which mm -hmm. is IE America in, in the United Kingdom, uh, which are the sea, sea, you know, seaborn empire that believe in democracy and individualism that they're trying to fight. Until you understand that, a lot of what they're doing doesn't make sense. Yeah. And the fact that Eastern Europe is where we need to start making the continent and why Spain was so critically important and why the Russian Orthodox priests in Ukraine were harboring Russian troops in barracks in their churches and why they worked to basically overthrow the activities in Poland and particularly Hungary. And they were funding um, um, the extremist in France. What's her name? Uh, Marine Le Pen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that was all funded by Russian banks, that movement. Uh, they were able to take over in Austria not that long ago. And so, um, and then basically you've got most of the red hat people here are squarely, you know, aligned with them. Mm -hmm. So they're having incredible success and it doesn't mean that they get stymied for a while but i i think their long-range plan is starting to gradually come to fruition yeah i was gonna ask if that had some tie with like um like the ukrainian far-right rebel militias and stuff if they were like involved in that as well because there seems to be like a weird religious angle to them as well well the ukrainian ones right. i mean a lot of the ones that go back, a lot of them have ties going back to what was it, the OUNB, the really, you know, fascist one from mm -hmm. the Second World War. And these guys really, really hate, hate Russians. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that was actually really what divided the whole, you know, the World Anti Communist League when they were trying to set it up uh, back in, you know, first in 58 and then 68, because essentially you wanted to bring everybody together, all the different far right elements. And the Ukrainian, not 
whites in there because the whites basically just wanted to restore Mother Russia to what it had been at the time of the revolution. And the Ukrainians, they wanted their independence along with all these other Eastern European countries and so forth. So there really is quite a bit of animosity in a lot of the Ukrainians towards Russia and the whole Holy Russian concept, which is mm -hmm. one of the big reasons why we've invested so much money in the Ukrainians. Mm -hmm. But it is murky because on the flip side of the coin, the Ukrainian far-right networks were thoroughly compromised by the KGB. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of hard to say who exactly is using who at this point. <laughs> yeah. Connecting it to some of like the, the spiritual warfare stuff, David, that you've been talking about, the way that um, Dugan in particular is trying to position Russia as being um, the answer to this dark transhumanist future as mm -hmm. well. Um, he's really he 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 goes over and over on that and he has like all kinds of propaganda efforts he has multiple videos you know messages to the american people and things like that like you know and it's uh they're really position themselves against this uh you know technological uh future that we seem to have coming as well so that that ties in with all exactly like those books you were showing yeah exactly yeah and that's you know it's when you yeah, when you start to see the, um, it, it's all painted the same color. You know, I mean, it's all it, they're using the same terms, they're using the same stuff, and you'll see it repeated a lot of times. I, I noticed it when I was writing for Reality Sandwich. None of the writers thought anything of going on Russia Today and you know being featured because they were like, oh, it's on TV, and I was like, you guys, that's a state. It's paid for by the Russian state. Like, you know, this this is kind of funky that you're on there, like promoting, like, you know, whatever, because they would it would always skew anti, you know, anti-American or anti-Western, yeah. whatever. But I'm not surprised that it's moving. I think all this stuff is kind of moving in this grand narrative of this epic battle for the future and the Silicon Valley elites are these transhumanists who are trying to bring some demonic forces through from the other side through their technology. And, you know, places like Russia will be the, the only ones to stand against them. It's like, it's well, really, I mean, I was thinking about these possibilities a long time ago and it seems like it's really coming true. That's the that's the kind of weird thing though about those narratives is if you look at the um, if you look at the psychic studies that the U.S. did, and you look at um, the what the Soviets were doing, um, the U.S. the researchers you know I obviously there's there's multiple levels of, of research and who's doing what and some folks probably didn't publish and they just went about their work but um, the published stuff they pull back when they start to hurt people. Like there was influence, you know, uh, remote influence tests. And um, when they started to look at the Russian stuff, the Russians were stopping hearts. Like that's what they were attempting to do. Like the Manchester goats kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like the Russians were, were actively doing this with like paired partners where they would be like, oh, well, if you, if you do it to a friend, is it more, is it, are you more susceptible to it? You know? And so they would have people trying to kill each other with their mind. And when the U.S. researchers were looking at this, they were like, we're probably not going to do that. And that's why we have remote viewing, because it was a passive modality, right? Like you weren't going to remote view somebody and kill them, you know. And then there's obviously there, there was other stuff like the, uh, the stuff that's mentioned in Men Who Stare Coats. There were different programs in that. So there were attempts to, you know, kind of weaponize it to a certain extent that would affect uh, physical systems. But um, the Russians were like, they were gung-ho for it. 
you know, and it's really interesting to read uh, Ingo Swann's um, uh, novel Starfire, which he wrote as kind of like an intelligence fiction. Um, it was written in the 70s and he was writing about what what it's a fictionalization of what he was what kind of a fictionalization and romanticization of the the psychic program at the time and he writes about the russian stuff and it's brutal you know like and then he, he writes about the u.s stuff and their psychic program wasn't brutal but the microwave weapons testing <laughs> writes about on the u.s side and you know so there's these different tiers of of possibility but you know both sides trying to paint the other one as the enemy and both to some extent doing experimentations with technology and biology that you know get kind of funky so it's just it's interesting to see you know the russians saying like oh this transhuman thing knowing full well that they're human experimentation like is yeah you know, is has been has been kind of nightmarish and they're they don't bulk it at, you know yeah, they had the two-headed dogs in the Kremlin for a long time, you know. Yeah, that's the you know. There's a there's a good book, uh, Homo Sovieticus, which is about their uh, psycho cybernetic programs, and it's really interesting because there were towards the end of the Soviet Union, there were attempts at mass hypnosis, where they were just trying to use like public television to just like hypnotize, and not in a subtle way either. You know, it was just like. We're just going to do this. <laughs> hopefully, it, hopefully the masses become, you know, hypnotized and, and robotic to the the state. You know, at least, at least in the U.S., it's a little bit more subtle. I mean, yeah, it's a little more subtle. <laughs> on the surface, though, I mean, what do you make of um, like the possible like child experimentation stuff, like that Whitley Strieber's talked about? Like, what do you make of those? like the like the psychic stuff, Ren? Yeah, like trying to trying to cultivate psychic potential in children through trauma. Oh, by the way, that one you were thinking of that was uh, you, you you were talking about this on Where Did the Road Go? But like Alta Dillard was on my show. Yeah, and she okay. was, she talked about going into this place where she was tested and. Uh, I yeah. remember you talking about that, and that was, um, and that was me. I, I was like, well, you know, there was stuff going on back in the '60s that was like part of MK Ultra and testing psychic abilities, and yeah. So I think she was probably a part of that. But anyway, that was a, just a digression. Yeah, well, I mean, the you know the Air Force, uh, the the Air Force flight manual, right? Like, comes directly out of uh, you know high altitude flight tests and that comes out of Nazi experimentations with extreme, mm. you know, so the, like you said, the paperclip thing, um, I think that that's something that, yeah, the U S was definitely going to have to yeah. deal with because it's a, it's a shadow to yeah. have. And the thing is, is none of that stuff, but the, the, I think the issue is, is that the, the monolithic concept of government or something that it's this, mm -hmm. you know, this kind of hidden hand force that, that does this stuff, you know, a lot of that stuff is probably contracted out. Like if you look at the the stuff in Canada, mm -hmm. you know, that, that wasn't, that, that was a, uh, what am I thinking? Is it Cameron? Who's the guy yeah. up in Canada? Yeah. Experiments at McGill University. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you, mm -hmm. you, know, you get that, um, that kind of, that was contracted out. And mm -hmm. so they, you know, they wash their hands of it. One, you know, a handful of administrators know it exists maybe. And yeah. the guy up there doing horrible Stuff. Well, you, and I mean, you, you still had some kind of quasi CIA involvement. I mean, really, I think ever since the seventies, I mean, all of this stuff was just totally outsourced um, or sent yeah. over 
do, you know, I mean, host governments or something. I mean, one of the ones you don't hear a lot about is South Africa, but South Africa did a lot of crazy stuff in the 80s, including producing a ton of MDMA that they yeah. experiment with as a crowd control drug. Yeah. And uh, just happened a lot of the early drug dealers in MDMA were also South Africans, too. So, yeah, um, I, I, I know someone who uh, was a part of the San Francisco rave scene in the 90s, and he was telling me about how all that, uh, all that ecstasy was from South Africa and it was yeah. pretty well known. I mean, you see the repercussions of some of that work, like you were talking about, David, uh, with paperclip stuff, um, like specifically Unit 731 material. Yeah. And the scientists who worked for Unit 731 being imported into the US to work on biological warfare programs. Like there is that recent thing that came out uh, like last year about how Lyme disease was a possible you know, accidental or maybe intentional, but I'm like biological weapon release that like Lyme disease itself, at least as we know it now, doesn't exist until like the 1970s. Um, there's no historical record of Lyme disease being around un until, and it all kind of comes from this one area where there was like a bioweapons research facility. And if you look at a lot of the Unit 731 research, it was focused around using insects as vectors for bioweapons. Well, and that, that's made the to uh, Russian information operations or Chinese information operations or Iranian mm -hmm. information operations or whatever, because we have this secret history that, you know, people can't trust what they're told mm -hmm. because of things like, and it's, it's weird when you start to actually look at the, the material because, you know, like the psychic program was uh, declassified in 95. <clears throat> But you can go back to the 70s and you can see people writing about it. It wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't well, yeah, I'd always heard that like the scientists who were doing the research, I mean, they published papers. Yeah, well, there, was, yeah. there was like kind of the public, you know, revoked viewing program that was talked about like in the popular press. But then yeah. there was sort of also like the stuff that the CIA was paying for that they no, were. Well, that's they the didn't publicize as much. No, that's, that's the interesting thing, though, is that the people that were doing the, you know, like Targ and, and put off in them, they were publishing papers in Nature and and uh, yeah. the IE and, and that kind of thing. So the they, they yeah, had yeah. A lot of the stuff being talked about the Institute of Nodic Science and kind of mm -hmm. the emerging human potential movements. I mean, yeah. yeah, it was definitely known at the time. I mean, yeah. I mean, it was mainly just the CIA involvement was what was being covered yeah, up. And that was that was their deal, actually. So Targ and, and put off their their contract essentially allowed them to write about the scientific experiments and the research. But what they couldn't write about was the operational efficacy in terms of, uh, you know, actually deploying this in the field as an espionage or for the human influence studies. And then it's really interesting too, because in 75, 75 is when kind of when those contracts solidified at SRI. And 75 is also the launch of uh, and the organized skeptical movement who mm -hmm. has, you know, ties to uh, different organizations, well, different magazines and that, that are known uh, vectors of misinformation, disinformation and leaks. Yeah, so, remember that when you hear Bill Nye say anything <laughs> yeah well, and that's the thing you can see now too i mean with the like uh i was reading something on it was a some kind of article that came out um about bigelow um and it was a it was kind of like a a journalist goes to the ufo conference sort of thing mm -hmm. um it was written in the 90s and it was about all these rumors that were going around that Bigelow had this, you know, this organization of, of different scientists and these connections and that. Mm. And, you know, 
know, it was it was written from a skeptical perspective. And now you can look at it and go, oh, yeah, well, he did, you know, <laughs> and the other thing you look at something like Coast to Coast, which he partially helped launch and fund mm -hmm. all the people that were going on Coast to Coast, you'd have all these wacky people. And then suddenly it would be somebody that was actually involved in the remote viewing program or whatever, yeah. which has recently been, you know, declassified in that. So there's there's all these ways to kind of look to the past to see what's going on now and see these yeah. ways that it's public, not public. Yeah, well, that's that's the fascinating thing that I've personally found out over the last year um, was that a lot of these programs, especially remote viewing, uh, I mean, you can read the papers, uh, you know the efficacy of it, like yeah. how you know, good it actually is. Um, and the government never stopped using remote viewers. Like mm -hmm. I like personally, I'm, I can't reveal too much, but I do personally know someone who uh, was part of a team that was contracted out to do RV for NASA doing like climate modeling. Mm -hmm. um, and this was recent. Uh, I think the idea was that they move everything to the private sector, like like the UFO research, moving that to Bigelow, right? Because then you don't have to you don't have to deal with governmental agencies, right? You lose yeah, a lot of the yeah. tape, and you don't have to leave a paper trail because these There's private no companies aren't making quest for corporations. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and you also you also don't have the the bureaucracy to kind of crawl through and and. Mm -hmm. Because bureaucrats don't want anything to do with this crap. <laughs> you know, they yeah, 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 yeah. They don't want to see that show up on a, a well, line. Yeah. Item, like it's also, like when you look at some of these major conglomerates, like Cerebus, for instance, uh, which is the company that owns DynCore now. I mean, DynCore does a lot of crazy stuff, including making vaccines. They cut grass in the nation's capital. I mean, just all kinds of crazy stuff. But you pull back and you look at Cerebus, they own a bunch of other stuff, too. They own some pharmaceutical companies. So it's kind of like, well, what if you want to experiment with some drugs or something in, say, a foreign country? Well, I mean, you can develop it with one branch, one subsidiary. Yeah. You can pass it on to DynCorp. You can send these guys out and do it. And I mean, you have this vast corporate structure where only maybe a handful of people even know what exactly you're trying to do. I mean, it's you know, a way you really just couldn't be within government. Right. And, it, and with the TTSA thing, like you, uh, I think you wrote about this, didn't you, Recluse, the, that Chris Mellon was, he was one of the guys that signed off on the declassification of remote viewing. Yeah. You know, so he's, you know, it's, he's not like a new player on the scene. Um, and it's it's just really interesting to see, yeah, this, the, 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 the pieces kind of fall together now. Yeah. You know? And all of it, I mean, the thing with the psychic stuff, as Ren, you know, I mean, probably it's, it's easy to, to pick up. I mean, one of the yeah. things I'm fascinated with in folk culture and, and kind of folk magic and that is uh and popular occultism is the william walker atkinson stuff which was published in the early 1900s if you read his stuff on on mind training and that and then read the stuff that they were using for remote viewing it's the same stuff you know yeah, yeah. The physical modalities oh. that, are, that are totally applicable and and mm -hmm. open source you know it's just the do you actually believe it's going to work you know yeah i mean especially um like formal crv uh, there's a whole element of like automatic writing that's included mm -hmm. yeah yeah exactly yeah so you brought up about the declassification of the remote viewing stuff like what are your thoughts on that do you do you think the declassification was something intentional like was there some per perception management reason for them declassifying it i think that well i think that it was from from what i understand it was because they were it was essentially a great 
thing in terms of they were going to be embarrassed. And mm -hmm. I think Morehouse had already started to write his book and he'd been mm -hmm. talking to. Uh, this was, uh, it came right after the Gingrich Revolution, correct? Um, when the Republicans recaptured the House, I think it yeah. was in like 94 yeah. or something. Because I know there was also some like really hardline fundamentalist Christians yeah. in the yeah. National apparatus that did not like the stuff either so i think that might have been a factor too yeah exactly and they were going to expose it as basically a government over you know like overreach and like bullshit money being spent and like you know and they were going to be embarrassed so it was basically like let's hang these guys out <laughs> you know like let's <laughs> let's do a do a controlled release and admit what we're doing you know and the thing like we we were talking about earlier it, it was never that public. like it was never that that you, if you were really interested in this stuff, it wasn't, you know, everybody kind of knew that it was going on. It was only the, the mass public that, yeah, you know, yeah. didn't, that didn't have the in on the fact that, you know, folks were operationalizing psychic stuff. Because you, uh, Martin Ebon, who uh, he uh, worked with the American, uh, well, he worked with the Parapsychological Foundation. Um, he was uh, possibly a past president of the Parapsychology Association. Mm -hmm. uh, they, he wrote a book on weaponized, I think it was called Cywar or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, he wrote a book in the 80s on it, you know, and there were books in the 70s. Ingo Swan was like, late. Ingo Swan was like, because yeah. he did the whole thing. He was kind of rebellious in it and was kind of, uh, you know, that was just his shtick was to kind of poke the bear. So, he, you know, he wrote openly in his uh, natural ESP book in the introduction. He talks about, you know, the smoke of psychic warfare on both sides of you know the the cold war and how mm -hmm. there was going on that that weren't being out in the open and how he wanted it out in the open you know and that that, that natural the natural esp book or i came out in like 86 87 in the defender publishing stuff there's uh i forget <laughs> His last it, goes, it all goes back to Defender Publishing. Yeah, for me it does. That's yeah. It's a, <laughs> just everything spirals around Jim Bacon, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I think his name's Dave Hunt. He wrote a book in the late '80s and '88, which was essentially uh, a. He's not. He's not related to the Hunt family, is he? Tell me, he's not. I'm not sure. I don't. I'm no. he possibly. I mean, he was oh, Mike. Right now. Do you know? Do you know Dave Hunt? stuff the no um, don't don't be talking about dave hunt don't be talking about dave hunt he um i mean mostly he's an okay guy he um he actually so comes from a background um i'm sorry i didn't if it broke up there i didn't hear you he's not a member um, of the he's not a member of the really bad hunt family from texas right <laughs> well I can't say about ruling families. I'm not clear to say on that. So, um, but but he he comes from the Plymouth Brethren, which what? are some of the early yeah. prophecy people, huh? Yeah, yeah. Dave Hunt comes from the Plymouth Brethren, and uh, that's he, the same. That, that's well, the same group. Crowley's parents came from, right? Yes, Crowley's parents were Plymouth Brethren. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. yeah. And so, so they were thing, but the the big thing with this was this Southern California base of operations. And so, what I have noticed about a lot of the Californian movies, documentaries, productions, books, is that they sort of project all on America all that was happening in 
La La Land in Southern California. So because of what was going on there in the late 60s and 70s, they assumed all of America was just being swept by new age teaching and that it was taking over America like in Southern California. And their material is produced. Uh, and Dave Hunt was mostly a guy who confronted the cults. And um, there in Chattanooga, I don't uh, uh, Adam might know a little bit about this, but on the John Ankerberg show, like Christian, uh, Dave Hunt was a regular fixture on there to confront new age movements and to expose them and how they would change, you know, what they were made out of and stuff. But he was also one of the few guys who actually stood up to Calvinism. And he wrote some books on Calvinism that got a whole lot more heat than the new age people ever did or the well, occultist. Well, he was, and so, but he was, he was a pretty hardcore Zionist, huh? Oh, I was going to say he's a, your your point to the the Southern Come again? California, uh, the your point to the Southern California uh, connection. That was what makes his this Mind Invaders book so interesting because he actually, through his prayer groups, had access to folks that were within the security, like military intelligence, that were concerned about the psychic program. And so he writes, he fictionalizes it, but essentially there's an FBI guy in the prayer group in the book that comes in and starts talking about psychic spy stuff going on in Palo Alto. And this was written in 1988, you know, so again, it's, it's intelligence fiction writing a fictionalization of kind of, you know, his view of what was actually going on. So it's, it's an interesting, uh, because you you know, there was a, there was a couple there was a. I'm sorry, I mean to interrupt you, Dave. There's an inter, uh, there's a delay here, so I have a hard time. Uh, the Matriciana f- couple, Mr. and Miss Matriciana, helped produce a lot of that material with him and with other people. And there's a lot of stuff online about he, that guy being connected to intelligence. I don't know if you've run into that information or not. Mm-mm. But both the the man and wife have produced a lot of. Imp- uh, Christian documentaries, uh, anti-cold, anti-new age, new world order stuff. I know Chris Pinto has worked with them as well, but um, again, there's a lot of stuff about him possibly being connected to intelligence, but I don't know. Okay. I think that's a good place to stop, guys. We've gone like 45 minutes over the I originally intended for this. So what do we expect with this cast? I know, right? Let's uh, let's just go down the line. Uh, we'll start with uh, Ren. Just uh, tell everybody where they can get in touch with you. And uh, also, I will tell everybody what uh, time they are speaking. Ren, you are 510 to 610 on Sunday the 27th. That is p.m. Uh, that is uh, Eastern Time, so that's four ten to five ten on Central Time for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I would tell everybody that they, where they can find you. Okay, yeah. Uh, if you want to read some of the articles about like the Dara and stuff that I was talking about, uh, just go to liminalroom.com. And if you want to get in touch with me, some of my contact info is in there, as well as links to uh, my Discord server. Okay. And recluse, you are actually going to be on Friday night. You're one of the you're one of the first four on Friday night. So uh, 
you are 820 to 920 on Eastern time, which is your time zone. And everybody else can figure out what time they, they could see you. But uh, tell us where they can find you and about the farm. You can check out my Lone Time blog. It's actually about to get in its 10-year anniversary, I think, on October. Wow. Hey, congratulations. Ah. It's, uh, it's uh, visupview.blogspot.com. That's V-I-S-U-P-V-I-E-W.blogspot.com. And as they said, you can check me out at The Farm, uh, which is thefarmpodcast.com. And also check out my book, uh, Strange Tales of the Parapolitical, Postwar Nazis, Mercenaries, and Other Secret History, which is available on Amazon and our official store. And I got my Epstein book coming out, hopefully, on October 15th, uh, Special Relationship Book 1, Trump, Epstein, and the Secret History of the Anglo-American Establishment. So uh, he pays for that. It's going to be some big announcements coming out on that. Okay, and Dr. Future. Hmm. Yeah, when am I going to speak? Am I going to speak? Yeah. You are speaking on Sunday at uh, 1.15 to 2.15 Eastern Time, which is 12.15 to 1.15 Central. And tell people where they can find okay. where they can find you and about your book. We'll let it catch up. Um, if you can't remember anything, go to mikebennettbooks.com. Uh, if you can't remember anything else, go to mikebennettbooks.com. That's M-I-K-E-B-E-N-N-E-T-T books.com. Uh, publisher is a kribospress.com, A-K-R-I-B-O-S press.com. Um, my blog, which I, I've just had two very long blog posts about the hydroxychloroquine and a little background on it, maybe interested in, and a bunch of other topics, is the Two Spies Report. Two Spies, S-P-I-E-S, report.wordpress.com. And you click out my old Future Quake episodes, all 300 of them there. Um, famous people there you might enjoy hearing from at futurequake.com. And... Uh, would love to hear from you. If you go to MikeBennettBooks.com, there's a place you can send me uh, an email or at uh, Dr. Future, Dr. Future, FutureQuake.com. And I uh, would love for you to get my book. Uh, it's t- Two Masters and Two Gospels, Volume 1. Uh, and you can get it at any of the normal haunts at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Walmart. Uh, what's the other kind of place for ebooks? All those Kobo, those kind of places. It's a great book, folks. Definitely check it out. I've only read half, but I still think it's a classic. So, and, uh, hey, thanks, buddy. Much. I really appreciate that. I would have finished it. It's just I left my copy in Kentucky. I will hopefully they'll be retrieving it here in about a month. Oh, is it sitting? Is it sitting in the Penny Royal guys' bar right now? It is. It is with one nice. of the Royal guys. They're guarding my book for me until I return for it. So nice. Yeah, tell Nathan to read it. Uh, and uh, Mr. Betcalf. Uh, yep, davidmetcalf.wordpress.com, uh, David B. Metcalf on Twitter, and uh, there's links all throughout that. All right. Thanks. David, uh, I was really feeling that, man. What's that? <laughs> so I was really feeling that, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was with, uh, with us and like some other people, so he's been on the marathon. Yeah, we... Yeah. This is I've been on since seven thirty. So. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's been on with us for a little while. We had only like a twenty minute break. Okay, well that's it, uh, Sergio. 
we're going to close this out. Uh, only thing we're going to say, we're not going to give our usual spiel, but guys, www.strangerealitiesconference.com. You've gotten to hear a lot of the guests on this episode. We may make this its own episode. I don't know. We'll have to just see what we decide to do when we actually put this out on the podcast feed, but it already is on the YouTube feed. So guys, uh, we are, as we record this, less than about less than 10 days away from the Strange Realities Conference. If you're thinking about getting your ticket in, get it in as soon as you can. Uh, we'd love to hang out with you and you guys can see presentations from these four gentlemen and also all the other ones that we've got uh, available for you that whole weekend. Anything that you want to say, Sergio, before we end this live broadcast? No, just uh, you're going to, you know, if you if you like this, you're going to like the conference. And um, I really like getting all these minds together like this. And uh, it's a, the conference is a good reflection of the spread of topics we talk about on the podcast as well. So just mm-hmm. uh, seeing everyone there in uh, virtual land at our streaming conference. That's right. StrangeRealitiesConference.com, September 25th, 26th, and 27th. Join us then. All right, guys, we're out. If you would like to help the show, please consider becoming a Patreon www.patreon.com slash conspiranormal or leave a one-time donation at conspiranormal.com and please check out our YouTube channel Conspiranormal Podcast Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets or McCrispy Sandwich But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.